You are now tuned in to Poppy Chulo Radio, your web portal for the best in pop culture news and interviews. Untie him. He's one of us. The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Midnight Hour, the unofficial Midnight Texas podcast, a poppychuloradio.com original series, Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Sunday, October 28th, 2018, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the latest episode of the NBC series, Midnight Texas. Please welcome my co-host, my fellow Midnighter, Tiffany Hill. Hey, Tiffany. Hello, everyone. Hey. Welcome, welcome. It's good to have you on. I'm glad to be here. Awesome, awesome. So, before we do sort of our usual spiel, when, you know, jumping into the episode and that kind of thing, I want to take this time to chat with you, Tiffany, a little bit about Midnight Texas as a whole, like the series. I want to get your sort of general thoughts on what attracted you to the series and then we'll talk a little bit about season one so first like what initially piqued your interest in midnight texas well i miss for one thing midnight texas isn't a big show it's not your you know i guess this is from charlotte harris's uh charlotte harris's book series but it's not your true blood it's not your big supernatural show it's this small kind of show with a small budget a little campy a little cultish i miss these shows these shows used to pop up in the 90s like on network tv all the time and they disappear like overnight but they'd always have these like kooky little stories and these interesting quirky characters and you don't really see much of that anymore you know everyone's always got to go big and i don't know i just think you know i i miss these shows so that's what drew me in the appeal was that i wanted to see something kind of quirky pop up just you know and i didn't really take it seriously i didn't I, 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 so i didn't have all these great expectations for it either I like that you said that. I think that's kind of what drew me into it as well. Although I would say, because you said it's not a true blood, for me, initially going into it, especially after seeing the trailer and uh, obviously knowing about the author and knowing kind of the vibe of the show, it kind of gave me a bit of a true blood vibe uh, initially before even seeing any of the episodes. So that's something that really excited me about it. I mean, obviously, it's network television, so we were never going to get the action, the VFX, or the sex (laughs) slash nudity (laughs) that we saw on HBO's True Blood. But it, it, it kind of fit into that kind of vibe. It also gave me kind of like what you mentioned, sort of like 
a Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a grim type of vibe as well. Because it already looked like, based on the initial trailer, that we were going to have a group of Scoobies together. You know, a group of Midnighters that we were going to get to know, that we were going to fall in love with, that was going to form a sort of team, or at least a support system. And I always like that kind of stuff. Like, I don't think Buffy the Vampire Slayer invented the Scoobies. I mean, obviously, Scoobies is is a term that's attributed to them based on Scooby-Doo. But the idea, the concept of a team sort of fighting together, whether it's a monster of the week, or an overall uh, season-long mythology is something that I always get immediately attracted to just because it gives me Buffy the Vampire Slayer vibes. And uh, that's something that I found really exciting about the series. So um, now I want to ask you about season one. What did you think of uh, season one as a whole? Like the good, the bad, and the ugly. What did you get into? And what are your overall thoughts on season one of Midnight Texas? (laughs) Well, as I said before, I wasn't going into it with these great expectations. You know, I just wanted something fun and light for the summer. So when I watched it, the first episode drew me. Like, I love Manford. Like, I, and that's really big for me. If you if you find an appeal with the main character, if you can relate to him or if you care about, you know, his arc, then that can pull you into what's going on around him, including the, you know, interesting little misfit characters around him. And I loved Manford. I loved his style, his kind of, like... I guess he fits into that uh, that trope where he's the uh, hero, but he's the unassuming hero. Like, he's not looking to be a hero. He's actually trying to run away from this dark past and all of that. But the uh, the actor who plays him, was it Francois Arnaud, I think his name is? Yes. I don't, it's French. <laughs> I, French-Canadian, you know, he, I think. French-Canadian, yeah. He does such an amazing job at that. Like, you care about him, and he's, you know, he's a rebel, but he's not corny about it you know you, he's you can you can see him, you can you can know a guy like that so following him caring about you know what he cared about and, and seeing the midnight through his perspective that made it more fun for me you know and I, and I and I guess all of coming into it and seeing the characters like Lem and you know Fiji and all of that it was just I think the character dynamic is what um, outside of the story because the stories the stories were great don't get me wrong um you know you had the kind of you know, monster of the week type of deal uh, set up with a small little mystery kind of tying them all together. But it was the character's interaction and just like this, how different and eclectic they were. Like, that's what I really liked. And then eventually kind of like, as it started to creep into the main apocalypse storyline, well, the, actually, no, I'm sorry. The, the first mystery of who killed Bubbles' girlfriend, that was kind of fun because it played off a little bit of that Twin Peaks thing. And then eventually kind of delving into that apocalyptic story. It it just, it worked well. I I liked that a lot. So that's what drew me in. Um, What I didn't like, though, I'm going to be straight out, like, mentioning the characters. I'm going to say it. Creek got on my damn nerves. She (laughs) she Creek, I was not a fan of Creek. And if anything, she, I mean, I I don't want to place that on the actress because I hate I never take it out on the actress. You know, they can't help what material they work with. Or maybe it was the actress. I'm not sure. But her, I'm always funny about love interests because they can, for me, they can either help or hurt a series, especially if it's the main love interest. Um, Only because their parts tend to drag and it, you know, you're not buying the the chemistry or lack thereof between the main character and, and the person he's into. But she didn't. 
out of all the characters, she didn't she didn't have any character to me. She was just kind of there. You know, even her father and her brother had something going on, but she was just random girl number five. You know, <laughs> that that wasn't, you know, that didn't really uh, take to me. And also, um, I guess because it's such a smaller series, it, they don't have a million episodes. Uh, they came, you know, some things kind of happened a lot quicker than, you know, maybe they should have. Like, for one thing, they kind of sped up the whole Bobo and Fiji thing. I mean, I... I, I I like the two characters. I like the idea of them being together, but I didn't really care as much when they did get together at the end because it happened so fast. I don't know if that makes sense. It's mm-hmm. I, I usually like something like that to kind of, but I, I, you know what? From their perspective, I think it may be because they weren't sure if the series was going to last or if they're going to have a second season so I could understand the acceleration. But overall, at the end of it, when they do get together, I just didn't, it didn't have that great of an impact as it should. Even though I cared, it just really kind of was like, okay, well, great. <laughs> so those were the only real drawbacks for me. What did you think? You know, I can co-sign a lot with what you said. I think what I really enjoyed the most about the first season it was the characters. Uh, I will agree that Creek was probably the weakest of the bunch, but uh, we did podcast season one, and I always, I, I think if I'm remembering correctly, I feel, because it was like a hundred years ago, I feel like I was <laughs> the Manfred and Creek defender, because I did like them together. I feel like both actors like have really great chemistry, and I really bought into them, because it was kind of like love at first sight, and I could buy that, because it's, it's that type of show, you know, it's a supernatural show, it's yeah. going to be kind of like, uh, for lack of a better word, like a grown-up fairy tale, so I could get into them falling in love almost instantly, and she's like into the bad boy, and then obviously there's a whole bunch of mess that's going on in her life, but outside of them being together, I will agree that Creek was kind of just like the weakest link because she really didn't have that much to do. It was almost like she was reacting to everything. Like yeah. uh, like in a comedy, she would be the straight man. Like everyone else is kind of like over the top and she's yeah. the one that's serious. And I could see why um, that, uh, like the reason why that character didn't connect to people because I read the comment section uh, under various recaps on various different websites. And I always read, you know, creak, 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 creak. And uh, my fellow co-hosts in season one, they were all like creak, 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 creak. And I was like, you know what? I, I get it. Although I did fall in love with them as a couple. So I was uh, very supportive of them together. Everyone else was really, really good. I will co-sign about Manfred. I feel like Francois is just brilliant in the role. He does a really great job with everything that they have him do. And the couples, the various couples are very cute. Uh, Bobo and Fiji, uh, Joe and Chewy, Lem and Olivia. Uh, I feel like in season one, Olivia was kind of... well. Let me rephrase that. Olivia and Fiji were the standouts for me. I feel like both actors did a really great job of conveying their characters. And the writers did a really great job of uh, giving us little bits and pieces, filling in their backstory, and allowing us to really care about both of those characters uh, individually. As far as the overall arc of the season, I did like the mix of Monsters of the Week and the larger mythology. I felt like 
the reveal of the killer being Connor, a.k.a. Creek's brother, uh, halfway through the season was brilliant. Uh, although I did read that this is exactly a, a storyline from the book. So for those that have read the book, it wasn't really that much of a surprise. But the fact that they made a teenager basically a serial killer, I, I thought was awesome and gutsy and, and beautiful all at the same time. And uh, then the Kolkanar stuff was good, at least in my opinion, up until the very end. I thought uh, the way that they got rid of him was a little too easy. And yeah. <laughs> um, the CGI, it was it was like a mixture of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there was that. Although I would say... For the most part, the VFX are actually pretty decent on the show. Kokonar was just a little disappointing. And um, yeah, so, so there was that. And if you really think about it, even though we did have Monsters of the Week in Season 1, they all were actually connected to Kokonar and the activity oh, yeah. in Midnight, the fact that it was drawing them in. So even though we did have Monsters of the Week, it did tie into the overall season-long storyline, which I thought was really good and very brilliant of the writers. As opposed to just making them throwaway characters, they actually did tie into the overall season-long mythology. So uh, I definitely give them kudos to that. And I also like the fact that it's a variety of soups. Uh, soups as in supernaturals like it's just a weird hodgepodge of vampires and uh, witches and angels and demons and, and that kind of thing like teaming up together oh and a were uh, what was it? he was a, a were tiger tiger yes yeah. so we've got a little hodgepodge of oh and a psychic of people <laughs> gathering together to like fight to save the town so uh, I really thought that it was fun it's campy it's a little over the top it's very sexy uh, kind of like all the things that i really enjoy in a summer series now obviously for season two they took it away from the summer but yeah. uh, at least for season one it was a summer series and it was everything that i could want to be quite honest yeah same here definitely i mean i agree with everything you said especially yeah it, i did find the coconut thing a little anticlimactic i mean compared to what they were building it up as but considering their budget, you know, I can kind of understand that as well. I just, yeah, I totally agree with everything you said. It, it all fit, and I like, and it did. It, it, it didn't seem out of place. It didn't. All right, then. So let's jump into our recap of Season 2, Episode 1, which was titled Head Games and aired October 26th, 2018. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. After shutting the veil to hell, the Midnighters finally settle into a semblance of normality until the opening of a new hotel rocks their stability once again. Manfred deals with the consequences of taking in six demons. Joe makes a new friend. Let's check in on the ratings for Season 2, Episode 1, Midnight Texas, returned to its brand new Friday home with 1.9 million total viewers and a 0.4 in the demo rating. Its ratings are below its freshman average, which was 3 million total with a 0.7 in the demo, and uh, it marked series lows. Now, we do have to remember that Midnight Texas was a summer series. It followed the highly popular American Ninja Warrior on Monday nights. This time around, 
it's on Fridays, and uh, it, it's during the regular season, so uh, numbers should be a little bit lower, or at least the network should know that they should be a little bit lower than uh, what it was uh, achieving before. So I'll we'll have to wait and see. Of course, the most important thing is consistency in uh, ratings, so uh, stay tuned. So I want to get your initial reaction to this episode, Tiffany. What did you think of Season 2, Episode 1, Head Games? I absolutely loved it. I did. I loved, I mean, it was a wonderful, wonderful return. I really am. There wasn't one moment in the show where I was just wanted to kind of skip through or kind of like got distracted. And I distract very easy. Let me just tell you, I do. I can just, I mean, I, my attention can just go left, right and left field. But everything about this is great the humor was on point you know that there's a, the scene with the with his grandmother and she makes the comment about him taking in all of the demons and the de- when he said when she said demon gangbang gang it, it yeah. was over <laughs> and just the way she was kind of phrasing it i just got this picture in my head it was hilarious so that was great um the characters returned to for- true form and it was nice to also see you know how um, the relationship between Bobo and Fiji, how it progressed, and now they're just these kind of like sexual dynamos. They just can't keep their hands off of each other. I liked that. <laughs> it was very sexy. So yeah, it was it was great. It really was. And uh, I enjoyed it as well. I thought it picked up uh, perfectly from where it left off. I love that, uh, not to really go too deep into it, but I like that they kind of closed season one with this episode while also introducing us into season two. Uh, I thought they did a really great job with it. I feel like season one, if the if season two did not exist, could have been I- its own thing. You know, a limited one season type of thing. Sure, they did kind of leave a couple of cliffhangers, in particular, you know, the black goo and that kind of thing. But had it not been renewed, I feel like that could have been a great way to end the series but the fact that they were renewed it gave the writers a chance to sort of figure out did we want to drag this storyline out or do we want to just sort of end it and move into our new mythology and they kind of did that with this episode some actors uh either uh weren't picked up or decided to leave and so they had to accommodate that and uh and we got the chance to see every one of our favorite characters once again not everyone had a large storyline this episode it was certainly a manfred centric episode but i feel like manfred is the lead character so that made sense to be quite honest and uh, i also liked seeing the new mythology little teases that we got of it i thought it was really interesting and uh i'm not quite sure where we're gonna go with that but uh, i will be asking you all about it tiffany a little bit later (laughs) on so before we get into a thorough recap of the latest episode of midnight texas here's our announcer with a few special announcements binge listen to your favorite poppy chula radio podcasters discussing some of your favorite television shows Visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts for a complete list of all the podcasts that we produce. You will get up-to-date information on whether the podcast is currently releasing new episodes or if it's on hiatus. You will also be able to click a link to either take you to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or the Poppy Chula Radio archives to download the podcast. To binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasts visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts. 
Would you like to be one of the podcasters on this podcast discussing your favorite television show? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. We are always looking for new voices to add to our collection of podcasts. To become a co-host you must be at least 18 years old. You must be comfortable sharing your opinions. And you must be comfortable using Skype. There's no podcast experience required. So if you think you have what it takes to be a Poppy Chula Radio on-air personality, email talent at poppychularadio.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This is a Poppy Chula Radio special announcement. PoppyChuloRadio.com is currently looking to expand its web presence, and we're looking for your help. If you're a fan of Poppy Chulo Radio and its signature series, please visit GoFundMe.com slash PoppyChuloRadio and help us with our campaign. Every dollar amount donated will be improving the Poppy Chulo Radio experience and making it more interactive and user-friendly. We thank you in advance for your support. This has been a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. We now return you to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks, announcer. All right, let's get into it. And uh, the way that I'm breaking down this episode, uh, listeners, is uh, I'm just going to do the individual storylines first before we get into like the main arc of uh, the episode. So yes, that means all the Manfred stuff will be discussed later. So let's see, who should we talk about first? Uh, well, since you mentioned them and their sexy times, let's talk about Fiji and uh, Bobo. So in this episode... Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yes. Those be, two yes, were... <laughs> to be quite honest, they don't really get much to do this episode besides doing it. But we do get a little bit about them, and uh, we also get a little bit of a tease as to what's to come. So throughout the episode, they're basically in sexual bliss. We see them having sex, or or I think uh, Fiji called it witch sex, where they're floating up in the air, and uh, Mr. Snuggly is not having any of it. He throws a little (laughs) side eye, which was fantastic. And uh, Fiji gives Bobo a key. We learn also through their dialogue that it has been two months since the whole Kolkanar uh, debacle, and uh, they seem to be stronger than ever, and uh, so much so that at the very tail end of the episode, we see uh, um, Bobo officially using his key to enter, they're making out, and as the camera pans away from them, we see all of the plants in her greenhouse starting to wilt. So, uh, Tiffany, what did you think of Bobo and Fiji in this episode? I know that we did not get a lot of them, but they are in sexual bliss. They seem to be very happy together. It looks like um, they're they're very much in love. Uh, what did you think of uh, that weird little cliffhanger at the tail end of the episode about them in particular? Why do you think the f- the plants are wilting? And uh, just overall, what did you think of them? Um, I like that it's a nice little foreshadow, you know, for the rest of the season, so we get an idea of where that that that's you know that couple is directed towards like 
you know, uh, with Fiji, of what we knew from her from season one, you know, and her experience, especially like sexual experience, there was, you know, in the issue of her, uh, you know, taking a man's life <laughs> while in the throes of it. And so this is kind of showing, you know, maybe there's consequences to how much energy as, as a powerful witch she's exerting into this. And, you know, it makes sense. It does now that we know how powerful she is and how a lot of that's connected to her emotionally that we're, we're going to probably see that in display. And it could get some people hurt, you know, at the and this could be a cost of their new relationship. You know, there's always that kind of downside. So it was interesting to see that. And we know it's going to have something tied into her powers and how that's going to affect the others or the town even so that is true that's interesting i hope that it isn't something in particular about her powers that's going to keep them apart i hope that it's maybe either an outside force or something in her family's lineage that uh at some point can be overcome just because i really like them together mm-hmm. i feel yeah. like the actors have really great chemistry, and uh, unlike you, I actually was really happy with how they were handled in season one. Maybe it's because I went in knowing that this was a shorter episode order of a series, and so their little romance, for me at least, was believable. And I was satisfied yeah. with them at the tail end of season one. They were kind of like, mm-hmm. for me, like the couple to root for. I think the writers probably wanted Manfred and Creek to be like the couple that you root for because Manfred is um, the lead of the series. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, for me, it was all about Bobo and Fiji just because they were kind of like the will they, the won't they and that kind of thing. And, and I just really appreciated them together. And plus you could tell in season one, I mean, they had a ridiculous amount of chemistry together. So it was kind of like you had to root for them just because they're so freaking adorable and seeing them in bliss in this episode was wonderful to see, especially after all of the drama surrounding, you know, can I be in a relationship? Can I have sex? Am I going to fuck him to death? That whole thing from season <laughs> one. I'm glad that they found a happy spot. And the only thing that that um, would have taken it over the top, if this were on HBO, we would, we would have had some nudity. But um, oh. <laughs> this is not HBO. This is NBC. But it was still ridiculously sexy for broadcast television and maybe it's because it's airing at the 10 p.m spot uh that they got the chance to get away with a little bit more of the sexiness uh there was something else that happened later on with another couple that we'll be discussing uh in a little moment that i was very surprised went by the uh network censors as well so um There were some awesome sexy moments, and I'm glad that they got the chance to uh, experience bliss, because I feel like those plants withering, like, you kind of think that if she's a witch and if she's in love, that everything will be would be, like, in full bloom. The fact that they're withering is certainly the sign of something coming. Uh, what's coming, I don't know, and I really don't want to predict, but uh, I, I just hope it's something that they can overcome by the end of the season. Well, I just, like, you know, I... 
despite how fast they got together, I love that. Actually, you know what? They happen to be my favorite couple on the show. I love them as individual characters, and I love them together only because I'm a romantic at heart. And I love the idea of the awkward girl getting the guy of her dreams. Like, every romantic movie that is, like, my favorite always has that entitled, the awkward girl gets the guy of her dreams. Like, that's what I love about their relationship. Like, she got her man, so... (laughs) I like it. Tiffany's got a little mushy-gushy heart. (laughs) I know, it's there. (laughs) Wow, I love it. Awesome. So let's go from this couple into another couple. And let's talk about Lem and Olivia. So once again, this is another couple that we really didn't get much from this episode because, as I mentioned uh, earlier, this was a very Manfred-centric episode, but we did get little drips and drabs of them throughout the episode. She's still uh, a freelance assassin. He's obviously still a vampire. They (laughs) are very much in love. They are married. And because he saved her life uh, in uh, the season finale and he gave her his blood... They now have a psychic bond that uh, is forever, until death do they part. And it turns out to be a bit beneficial for Olivia, because he's got a bubble bath ready, he he knows that he's got to tame that kitty, um, <laughs> you know, and whenever she's in trouble, he knows, and he knows where she is to save her. So, what did you think of this? Uh, do you like the introduction to this sort of new side of their relationship? And uh, do you think this is sort of like a little nugget of information that's going to... Obviously, it came in beneficial in this episode, but do you think it's going to come in beneficial in a future episode? Is this kind of like a little seed that's being planted for the future? Oh, you definitely get that. I mean, if this is, of course, is going to be like something major in their relationship together. I love this because it shows an evolution of not only the characters, but of their relationship. If It's not just them getting married, but it's taking it to another level. Because how they started off was you kind of got this whole friends with benefits sort of feeling where Lim was more into it than, say, like Olivia, who... And you know what's funny about that? Not to interrupt you, but usually that's the trope that's attributed to the woman. Like, usually it's the woman that's really into the guy, and, like, the guy is like, no, 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 you know, I'm a player, like, I want to go and do my thing. But it was the inverse. It was him that was, like, really into her, and she was kind of, like, the one, like, you know what, I don't really want, um, you know, the ball and the chain. Like, maybe the ball and chain in the bedroom, but not the ball and the chain figuratively. And I I thought that was a really sort of, like, refreshing take on their relationship. And it was, you know what, it was understandable because, you know, with a woman like her, you know, I guess guys could think, oh, she's closed off. Oh, she's tough. She doesn't need a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's true. But it made sense why she wasn't opening herself up to him because it's true. He's a vampire. She's a human. She made the case that, you know, she's going to get older. You know, she's not going to stay that way forever. And she doesn't want him to see her die and didn't want him to see her get old. So her reasons for not wanting to go further with it made total sense because you know and and not only that but we found out later on in season one that 
you know, he said, well, why don't I just, you know, why can't I, I just change you? You know, I can I can make you. She's like, whatever you do, don't make me a vampire. And I respected her. Actually, she became one of my favorite characters after saying that because, you know, you get a lot of the time these women, they fall in love with the mythology and the idea of being immortal and all of that. And here she is saying, I'm happy who I am. I'm happy for being a human. I like how things are. I don't want you to change me. And they found a way to make it work. She loves him. He loves her despite, you know, their differences. And so in season two, the fact that now you see them connected even stronger, it's not even just their marriage that makes it strong. It's their connection and psychic link. And I think that's very compelling for two characters to have. You know, you actually see that and it, it makes sense. And I love that. I do. Nothing, nothing, nothing about it. It can be written off as I would say a huge trope because that's part of you know them as characters on top of their relationship together totally you made some really great points i also like the fact that she did not want to be turned i think it makes her an incredibly stronger character because of that because if you really think about that like going back to true blood there were a lot of characters that wanted to be turned into vampires you know they wanted whatever the immortality the strength the power and the fact that she doesn't i thought that was really interesting it sort of added also a little bit of a romeo and juliet tragicness to their love but seeing them together and seeing their their devotion to one another kind of uh, removes uh, that sort of tragicness from it and, and it's almost like she's um, embracing her own power and and not wanting to be a vampire now will that stick i guess we're gonna have to wait and see you know is this going to be a love that's brief or will she want to be with him forever i i guess stay tuned uh, you know the one great thing about uh, your mind is that you're allowed to change it especially after certain life experiences and certain situations so will she still be thinking that way whenever the series ends or will she uh want to be with Lem forever i guess we will have to wait and see but uh, i love their psychic connection i think they're a really great couple their their chemistry also the actor's chemistry is really really good the fact that he went down on her and that went by <laughs> on network television <laughs> I mean, yep. it was hot, and it was <laughs> unexpected, and it was hella dope. So, um, you know? That, and that's what I love about, you know what, to say the fact that it's on network TV and it's not on HBO. That's the thing I love that I couldn't stand about True Blood that I loved about this show. You don't need to see every little nitty-gritty detail. I mean, sometimes it's hot to the show less. You know, you don't need to see him, you know, physically actually doing it, but just the idea of it kind of coming out of nowhere and you can, you know, come up with it in your own mind what's going to happen. That's actually more appealing than something so over the top and blatant, you know? You know what? I can co-sign with that. The thing about this show is that the entire cast is like ridiculously sexy. So I got to give props to the casting people because they found beautiful people to do really fun, supernaturally type of stuff. Like, And they all have really great chemistry with each other. Not just romantic chemistry, but just friendship. Like you can actually see these people as friends, which uh, is uh, pretty awesome. So props to the casting department over at Midnight Texas. Yeah, and you know, to go from what you're saying about friends, that's, you know what, that stood out to me the most uh, from this season, because, you know, in the first season, you know, Olivia didn't really, 
Like, she didn't care for Manfred. She didn't trust Manfred at all, though. And I really wanted her to, like, I wanted them all to get close. And now you see this closeness, and when he, you know, they come together to support him when he was the most uncertain and at the lowest point. And that actually made me feel really good about everyone, just the way they, they came together for him. You know, and, and, you know, I was thinking maybe they'd get mad at him, but no, I mean, he, they surprised him. And I, and I loved that about them. But the I show. Agree. I agree. I co-sign with that. We'll be discussing that very soon. But before we get into that, there is one more storyline that I want to tackle. Another smaller one. We learn a little bit more about Joe and Chewie. So at the very start of the episode, Chewie is meditating and uh, we see that he's keeping his demons at bay and uh, he feels that uh, Joe kind of jinxes the entire situation at midnight because he's like, oh, you know, nothing's really happened. And he's like, come on, you just jinxed it. And of course, things do start to happen, whether it was the jinx or not. We learn in this episode that the Cartoon Saloon, the bar that we were introduced to in the first season in which uh, a lot of... um, Uh, Nazis, basically, uh, (laughs) were patrons of, has been bought by Bobo and has basically turned into what Fiji calls uh, Midnight's version of Cheers, (laughs) where every soup knows your name, basically. And at the Cartoon Saloon, Lem is a bouncer and uh, Joe is a bartender. We also learn that Bobo is still working at the pawn shop as well and uh one night while they're working there at the bar we have this uh guy we don't know that he's a demon initially but he's uh it looks like he's trying to get a little handsy with the women lem kicks him out he comes back in and he bumps into uh uh joe and joe immediately recognizes him for what he is lem kicks him out again then later on, while Joe is taking out some trash, the guy, this demon guy, uh, starts fighting him. Basically, he's like, you know, I've always wanted to kill an angel and that kind of thing. And Joe initially isn't fighting him off. And then, they, you know, they get into a real altercation. And he's brought along two other demon friends. Now, I should make a note that earlier, we did see this gentleman in the bar with a little cowboy hat, and he was eyeing Joe. So this man with the cowboy hat ends up showing up during the fight and gives Joe some help. We see that Joe takes care of the initial demon that was harassing him, rips out his heart with uh, his angelic powers, and we learn that this cowboy hat-wearing man, his name is... Walker Chisholm, and he's a demon hunter. He is not a supernatural. He is human, and he's heard of Joe. He's like, I never thought I'd be fighting with, you know, the famous Joe Strong. And uh, they both take out uh, one each of the remaining two demons. And uh, this guy, Walker Chisholm, has his own little fancy doodad that uh, basically does what Joe does uh, angelically. So it's like this uh, interesting contraption that um, shoots this beam of light into the demon and extracts its heart. And uh, they seem to have a little bit of a moment. Uh, 
And that's sort of like where this storyline ends. So, <laughs> you know, I got to ask you, what did you think of Joe's storyline this episode? And what do you think of this new guy? Do you think he's going to be trouble for our friend Chewie? I hope so. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I really do. I, I saw the minute I saw him show up, I'm like, yep, that's a that's a triangle right there. I can see it forming right now. Um, you know, as much as I love Chewie, uh, you know, and Joe, I, you know, I like this new guy kind of coming in. I like, you know what, when I saw them fighting together, I got the same feeling of when I saw, when I first saw Buffy and Angel fight together. Like, I got that same, or when you see, like, you know, Michonne and, and uh, Rick fight together, you can kind of get a little bit of that, I don't know, magnetism. It's weird. It's like when a couple starts dancing or something, you get that chemistry. I got that when they were fighting. And so I was like, yeah, he's definitely going to be a love interest or, you know, a what if interest, if anything. And when he, you know, pulled out that gizmo on his hand to you know, pull the, uh, to rip the, the heart out of the demon. Yeah, I could. Yeah, he has his own skills. He has his own gear, and he can take care of himself. And I can see that being really appealing to someone like Joe. So yeah, I'm ready for it. I want it to happen, man. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I do see trouble for Chewie, and uh, I don't know if I like it just yet. Just because we didn't really get a lot of them as a couple oh, yeah. in season one, but uh, the fact that they had been together for so long and the fact that they sort of overcame the fact that he's a demon, the fact that he's an angel and, and the fact that they are opposites. I did like them together, but I am intrigued by a human <laughs> demon hunter and a fallen angel together. So, um, sorry, Chewie, but, um, <laughs> I mean, I still love, you know, they were also, the, uh, the Chewie and Joe moments um, from season one were actually some of my favorite because there was so much heart. And actually, you know what, it had me crying a few times, like when we saw Chewie's actual face. and Joe, That actually, I, I dropped a few tears on that one because you could get the love that they had. I mean, they feel like, it felt so real, like as far as, you know, being together for so long. I just think of every couple that I could think of that have been together or married for that long. You know, it's like they understood each other in ways that, you know, they didn't have to say out loud. Like, you know, just their little mannerisms and the way Chewie talks to Joe. It's like you can tell this has been a couple that was established a really long time and they're pretty much the married couple. And they're they're comfortable with each other. So I do love that dynamic between them. Uh, I don't know what's, what that means for this season with this new guy. But I am interested to see what Joe's like prior to being in... A relationship with someone like I want to see kind of what he's like when he's being courted or when he's courting someone I don't know I'm just curious yeah that might be interesting to see I guess we're gonna have to wait stay tuned but I do yeah. feel like Walker is going to become an issue for Chewie I don't know how they're going to handle this on Chewie's side of it because it's like does he stay around? Is he also going to leave midnight? Uh, we'll be discussing a departure later on. So could that be what happens? Uh, does Chewie have to die so that Joe and Walker can come together? Will, uh, will this be something that happens sooner rather than later? I, I guess 
we're just going to have to wait and see because I really have no theories as to how they're going to deal with this because uh, obviously, and I keep on saying this about the actors, but uh, Joe and Walker have some chemistry and uh, you could tell oh. sparks are flying. <laughs> Big the look, the just the first look when they first like saw it. No, when a Walker looked at Joe, when he gave him that look at Joe, I was like, uh huh. There's something. Yeah, I could I could get it. I got the sense of it. I loved it. I really did. All right, so let's start talking about the main storyline in this episode. As I mentioned, it's all Manfred, all the time. We start off with Manfred walking down the main street of midnight texas with some tight boxer briefs some boots (laughs) and a shovel and we see he's been digging holes uh he he's um got this killer look he outside and he's got the killer look inside as he's staring at creek in his bed and then he wakes up and he's like, oh, it was just a dream. But when he goes into the bathroom after being told that um, his nose is bleeding, he notices the black goo that we saw at the very tail end of season one. And he realizes that his fingernails have uh, dirt and his boots are all muddied up. Before all that happens, though, Creek does tell Manfred that she is applying outside of... Uh, midnight to schools and that kind of thing and she would like to leave especially after everything that happened with her brother and her father she would love a fresh start and she feels like it needs to be away from midnight and manfred is not like the most enthused about it but basically he's like i love you you love me home is wherever you are basically but throughout the episode manfred clearly has something going on with him because he's hearing whispers and the whispers are telling him to uh, do evil type of things and uh, when he realizes that he has been uh, doing stuff while he's asleep he uh, puts his phone on to track himself and uh, when he wakes up he he follows the where he's been to these uh, um Uh, holes in the ground uh, graves and he deduces that they are for his midnight friends and we even get a uh, an appearance from zelda who basically tells him yeah like after you took six uh spirits evil spirits (laughs) uh, the gangbang that maybe one of them is still in there uh you know let's go and test you out on some holy water he puts his hand in it and nothing happens And so it seems like he's okay, but he still has the murderous impulse. And so after doing some research, he calls on one of his uh, dead relatives who apparently had a similar situation going on with him. And he explains it that um, it's like a demonic cancer that it's spreading. At some point, he's going to start hallucinating. And that's when uh, it's like the point of no return. And the only way to fix this is to uh, basically kill yourself before you start killing the people that you love. And so as he's sort of digesting all of this and and he tries to stop himself from doing stuff by like um, spending a night in jail and getting arrested and that kind of thing. But he's, he's able to break free. He's uh, in his home. He's not telling anyone about this because he's just... Uh, gotten their um their approval and they all trust him 
And so he's keeping this to himself, but uh, he realizes that he's at the point of no return when he sees that Zelda is inside of his house and his home is a ghost-free zone. We also learned that he had broken into the pawn shop to steal a whole bunch of weapons that look like they are all... Um, uh, they all can easily kill people. So before we continue on, I want to break this sort of uh, section of uh, this storyline down with you, Tiffany. Okay. When you initially saw Zelda, were you suspicious? And uh, what did you think of uh, just the um, overall you know, was... storyline up to this point? Yeah. I was like very, you know, I was very happy to see her at first. She was oh, because she's fantastic. Oh yeah, she Joanne was like my favorite Camp. part. Yes. Yeah, she, she was one of my favorite parts because her humor and everything and her, you know, dialogue with Manfred was some of the best in the series. So I was happy to see her and happy to see her counseling him the way she did in the first season. Gen like genuine sin sinister scene though was when he went back into his house and he saw the hallucination of her. There was a there was a little bit of creepiness there. I have to admit cuz that was the first thing that came to mind was like, wait a minute, I thought spirits weren't allowed to be in the house. So what is she doing in there? So that that I mean that was kind of I mean out of the whole episode, that was a little bit unnerving, I think. You know, and it, of course it did turn out to be a, a hallucination, but I I was happy to see her and actually, you know, even though I'm not I don't think she's going to be back. I think this is like her only real appearance in the show now but it, it's i mean i missed her i did i wish they could have kept her longer yeah totally i love zelda i feel like she's just so much fun i hope that what you said isn't true like i don't think we're gonna see her often but i hope that we see her again just because she was such a fun character i know that they they had her get her happy ending but it would be nice if she could pop in every once in a while, just because she was quite the character. And uh, it, it's, she was just always such a joy to see on screen. You know, once again, talking about chemistry, great chemistry with Manfred. Uh, like, they have just awesome, what I would call familial chemistry. You could tell that they're family, which uh, was always yeah. really nice to see. I loved seeing his other relative, just because... I really love the ghost effects on Midnight Texas. That's something that I would always say during season one. I feel like they do a really great job of making their ghosts very unique and, and very specific to the show. Like the way the effect is used is um it's just pretty awesome. Like I love the ghost effects on Midnight Texas. Oh, definitely. Definitely. They do a good makeup and everything. Absolutely. And uh Everything that Francois Arnaud did in this episode was really good. I was impressed by him throughout it, throughout it all, especially later on. So I'll I'll save that opinion until yeah. later. But um, just the way that he would sort of zone out and sort of go in and out of uh, like trance throughout this first part of the storyline, I thought he did an awesome job. And then once he realized what was going on and that um, the demon was taking over or the, the, the demon cancer was taking over, I thought uh, what he did was very convincing and uh, very creepy. Yes, definitely. And, you know, it's very easy for something like that, especially in a show like this, to come off, I mean, some of the things he ha they had him doing, very cheesy and very comical, but the fact that he's such a good actor, you know, it, it 
you know, it, it didn't feel that way. It didn't feel comical at all. I mean, it, it felt legitimately concerning. Um, so I, I yeah, I, I definitely think he's a standout actor, especially in the series and the things that they have him doing. You know, he, it's legitimate. Yeah. Absolutely. So to continue on this storyline, basically what happens is Creek uh, notices the um, all the the towels that have the black goo on it. She sends a picture of it to Fiji, and um, she's instantly sort of caught by Manfred, and and she realizes that it's not him. And uh, it looks like she escapes him um, after tasering him. But uh, we see later on when he's in the car with Olivia, as he's saying that uh, Creek ran off on him. We see that she has been captured and uh, she's in the trunk. When they get to the site of uh, the graves, uh, there's, uh, I'm, a, I'm going to assume, a little bit of a scuffle. Or, and uh, Olivia is knocked out. And when he goes to get Creek, she has freed herself. She uh, knocks him out with uh, a damn tire iron. And it looks like she's about to escape, but she doesn't have the keys. And when she goes and tries to find the keys on um, on uh, Manfred, uh, you know, he gets up. He's about to choke her out, not in the good way. And Lem arrives to save the day because he sensed that Olivia was in danger. He leeches um, from him and he uh, vomits up the black goo. He's able to knock him out, though, and they tie Manfred up and uh, Fiji starts doing uh, this sort of like witchcraft hoodoo on him that is not working. We do have a moment of clarity where Manfred is able to come through and basically tells them, kill me before I kill you. And uh, before they could do anything, the Rev arrives with some new people that uh, own the uh, hotel, the old hotel that's now a spa in Midnight. We'll talk about them in a moment, but I do have to mention them for Manfred's storyline. But So they arrive, it's a married couple. His name is Kai, her name is Patience. And uh, we're introduced to them earlier. He seems to be magical and mystical and is able to do some stuff. We'll get into that in a moment. But what he does here is he cures Manfred. Like, he does his whole thing. He does his best. He, being Manfred, does his best Linda Blair impression and vomits all the black goo. We have a moment where Kai... I don't know what you would call it. He, like, sucks out some of the bad energy uh, from uh, Manfred's mouth. And then he spits up some goo. Uh, Manfred burps. And he's okay. And uh, he apologizes to everyone. He's like, listen, I was very worried that you all weren't going to trust me. And so I tried to hide this from you because I didn't want you all to, to freak out. And I wanted to control it myself. But they're like, you know, you've earned our trust. You know, we're here for you. Please don't ever be scared to tell us about stuff. We're here to help you. We're we're a group, and, and um, you know, we're here for you, basically. But he notices that Creek is not there, and he finds her back at the house packing things up, and she's basically like, I'm done. Like, I'm D-U and done with Midnight after this. Like, I just can't. I can't anymore, and I need to leave, and I'm sorry it's not going to be with you. 
and uh, she's like, I just need to get away from it all. I can't handle any more of this supernatural mess. And so the following morning, we see that she has left. And um, yeah, that's pretty much where the Manfred storyline wraps up. So he has been exercised of this demonic cancer. He's perfectly fine now. No more black goo. And Creek has left the series. So, Tiffany, talk to me about how the Manfred stuff was wrapped up. Did you like how it was handled? And also the Creek storyline. Did you like how she was written out of the series? Um, I do like the way the Manfred uh, story was wrapped up. Um, I like... You know, because I, like I said earlier, that it showed just how much, how deeper everyone's friendship kind of became uh, when you saw them rally around Manfred. And Manfred was really, like, ashamed of himself for hiding it, but also fair, afraid of losing everyone's trust again. I thought that was very poignant. And it showed a turning point in their relationship as, you know, as a group, as as, a, as a friends. Uh, and so that was very important. And I, and I liked that. I did. Um, as for the creek... I didn't. Yeah, it's no secret I didn't care for her character very much um, in the first season. Um, I thought it was interesting though. With when this episode started, like began, uh, Cree says she was she wanted to go off into this writing program in um, Texas, in, in is it Dallas, I believe, right or Austin? No, Austin. Austin, yes. Yeah, she wanted him to come with her. Like that was that was you know she wanted her them to go together. And now at the end, after everything that's happened, she's like, no. You know, um, I know you're not on the fence and you want to go with me, but I just I don't want any part of any of this. I could that was very understandable. I mean, not trying to be biased and objectively looking at it from her point of view. I mean, yeah, after everything that went down between her father and her brother and having to deal with all that craziness, she's the only one that can step outside of that and live a normal life. And I could see how that would be appealing after all of the drama and negativity she had to endure so i could understand where she was coming from and i like the fact that they didn't kill her off because that would have been so obvious and the fact that and they very had cheap. Her, like, that's yeah, like the cheap been, way out that's a cop out yeah it really would it really would i mean i can understand them not wanting wanting to give him another love interest or something like that or taking him in a different direction but yeah if they killed her off it would have felt very cheap and i would have felt like I don't know. I, I, did, I didn't think that would have been great for the, the series or the story. But the fact that she was able to move on with her life felt very satisfying. You know, despite how I felt about the character and all of that, it felt like it, I do felt like it was satisfying to see her go off and live the kind of life that she could, you know, live outside of all of that. I mean, could blame her. So that that was yeah, that that was a highlight for me. Yeah, I agree with you. As someone that liked them together, I will co-sign with everything you just said. I mean, the way that they wrote her out, I feel, did justice to the character as well as to their relationship, even though, you know, she was so, like, in a rush to leave. But it was believable. I mean, after everything that she experienced in the town like it made sense that she would want to get the hell out of dodge fast after that like you know let's say she experienced bliss for those two months and uh, there really wasn't that much supernatural activity in midnight since the coconut stuff but like after everything she experienced in season one and like she's finally found uh, someone um, to to be in love with and that kind of thing it made sense that she would want to leave ASAP, and that she wouldn't want 
him to follow her out of town. So uh, I think they uh, made the right decision. And I agree with you. I'm glad that they didn't kill her off because I just feel like that just would have been ridiculously cheap. And uh, it also allows for her to come back at some point, uh, maybe not necessarily as a love interest, but uh, to make a little appearance here or there, which I think is always welcome, especially with an OG cast member. And um, it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, there's, there's one thing I have to point out that's very important for me. Um, I don't... I mean, I see this a lot happening in shows, especially sci-fi and supernatural shows, where you have a female character who is you know, involved with another person, another character, and that character becomes like possessed or compelled or brainwashed into doing something. And there's violence where the female character is forced to kind of fight with them or they get you know, close to death with that character and they, they experience a trauma from that. Now, I don't typically like how that's handled in a lot of series because I think it's uh, you know, kind of written in there to, to, you know, for forced drama. I don't like, it, especially, it always feels out of place. But this is the first time I've actually seen that done where it's it feels, like, organic. It doesn't feel like it was there just to cheapen or, or do some kind of, like, you know, forced drama. Like, the fact that he attacked her, it made sense why she wouldn't want to be around him because given that her, you know, what happened with her brother, almost being killed by her brother, and the situation with her father to have someone that she loved and was close to attack her even if he was possessed it would bring up those feelings that she you know that are still fresh after two months they're still fresh in her mind about what happened to her brother so they did that very well and i don't usually even like that because i always get upset that the character was like well they were possessed so you don't you shouldn't hold that against them but in this case it actually made sense so i have to give them credit for that that's a really good point i like that you made that point yeah, totally. And uh, as far as uh, the Manfred storyline, as I kind of referenced a little bit earlier in this podcast, I was really impressed at how they handled it and how they wrapped up this sort of season one cliffhanger. I'm going to assume when they wrote season one, they probably had the hopes of a season two. But uh, I'm sure any good showrunner knows that especially a genre series, they have a little bit of an uphill battle to get renewed. So I'm sure that they wrote season one almost with uh, the mindset of, if it does not get renewed, this is a perfect way for the series to end. And to be quite honest, as I mentioned earlier, I feel like had it not been renewed, it was fine. You know, sure, there was that little cliffhanger with the black goo, but everyone else's storyline was kind of wrapped up, at least with their season one arcs. And the fact that, I guess, it, during the hiatus, after they were renewed, even though it took forever for NBC to announce that they were renewed, but they were renewed. And this allowed the writers to really think about, do we want to drag this out? Or do we want to sort of wrap this up in the first episode and move into an entirely new mythology? And uh, they chose option B. And I feel like they handled it really well. I like that they incorporated the new characters. We'll be discussing them in a moment. But I like that they were included in this. It made sense, I would say. And um, they uh, they wrapped it up, not in a, um, like a cookie-cutter type of way, but in, in a very, I would say, in an organic kind of way that made sense. And... Uh, 
it, it, it just frees up this season one baggage from Manfred, which I really liked. What did you think of how they handled uh, this season one cliffhanger? Did you like that it was wrapped up in the first episode? Would you have liked to have seen it drag out a little bit more? Did you find this appropriate? What did you think, Tiffany? Um, I, you know, that, that part of the, you know, as far as that cliffhanger, that I, you were right. They, that was part of the season one arc and I'm glad they wrapped it up as quick as they did for this first, uh, premiere episode, because it's not, I mean, I, I wanted all the stories and I wanted that whole thing to kind of be done with already. I mean, we, we, we got the gist of it and everything, and it's not something I would have wanted to see carrying over into the, I want something fresh you know you're bringing introducing new characters new story everything the dynamic has changed so i didn't want that you know kind of creeping into this new season because it would have been you know what i mean it kind of played out i think at that point i just i'm glad they wrapped it up awesome so we're on the same page good 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 let's move into the final storyline of the episode and it's the fact that this brand new spa taking over the place of uh the old i guess abandoned hotel is opening and uh manfred is like oh don't worry they'll be gone very soon because no one likes a haunted hotel and so we see olivia immediately being mistrusting of the entire uh spa and its owners we well i'm saying we but like all of the midnighters they go to the opening of the spa the grand opening and we're introduced to kai and his wife patience and he's like this uh, mystical healer he walks on water he cures this man uh, who um, who can't walk who just wants to uh, you know walk his daughter down the aisle and all this kind of thing. We see what he does. Like he does like these, this sort of chant type of stuff. And uh, he like inhales something uh, from them. And, and that's how he's, he cures them. It's kind of like what we saw with um, when we were discussing, uh, when I was recapping the Manfred stuff. Like he inhaled like the darkness. He inhaled something from this man and is able to allow him to walk again. And uh, Olivia ends up making an appointment at the spa to do a little bit of um, like reconnaissance work to figure out what the hell is going on. And she stumbles upon Kai. It appears as if he's chatting to a painting, like a, a portrait. And he basically says something to the gist of like, oh, you know, we're here and uh, we're going to make it work and that kind of stuff. Later on in the episode, at the very tail end of the episode, we see Kai in that room once again uh, with this painting, and uh, we see that the painting is covering something up. What it's covering up is, um, to the best of my ability to describe it, it looks like it's some sort of preserved demon's head maybe i'm guessing uh, it looked sort pretty of. like i was thinking like just like yeah preserved mummified head of someone i wasn't sure if it was a demon i mean it looked human it just looked old like you oh know, see I mean. it did not look human to me <laughs> because it did not have a nose and i feel like it had pointy ears 
Oh, oh, I didn't see the ears. I'm gonna have to check that out again. It was yeah, so... I feel like it was not. It's not human. That's what I would say. That was my yeah. impression. That it was not a human person. And then I, I started thinking. Well, before I even say that, so this is where the episode ends. Basically, the final line is uh, Kai telling this uh, mummified, uh, fermented head. I will avenge you. Burm, burm, burm. <laughs> and I heard that too. I, I actually know. did hear that. <laughs> yeah, you better. So, what does this mean? I have my own theory, so I'll go first. Um, well, no, it's not really a theory. It's it's more so something that I hope it's not. Because okay. I was trying to remember, what does Kolkanar look like? I hope it's not Kolkanar's head. Um, I feel like it isn't, um, and I feel like it can't be, because I feel like they, they totally um, um, kaboomed him, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Okay, so in my mind, I was like, is this going to be Kokonar? Like, I hope it's not Kokonar. <laughs> so so maybe I just answered this. So I'm still going to put the vibes out there. I do not want it to be Kokonar. But uh, what did you think of this, Tiffany? Uh, what did you think of... Uh, the very teeny tiny little nuggets of info that we got about this couple and why they're in midnight, besides the fact that they keep on saying, oh, we love the energy here. You know, we were drawn to it and this and that or the other. The fact that he has a mission, that he's going to avenge somebody. What do you think it means? Uh, do you have at all like a theory who this is going to affect? Well, first, let me just, you know, lay it out there. The actors that, you know, play Patience and Kai, uh, the Patience, Jamie Ray Newman, I think. Yes. I mean, she's she has a history on NBC. She was in Grimm. She had a small little part in Grimm. Mm -hmm. And that, and not only that, but she was in Punisher. She played Micro's wife. Mm -hmm. So that stood out to me that she's going to be in this. That's, that, that hyped me up. And Nestor um, Carbonell or whatever, who played Kai, mm -hmm. he was in Bates, he was in Bates Motel. So they both have lost. this sort of supernatural lost. There you go, and, and lost, didn't they? And um, they both have this sort of supernatural background. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Like I'm just hyped to see them in this show. But as for you know their characters, um, you know they did seem like this whole uh, new age couple i i did it was kind of funny seeing uh kai heal the man in the pool because it was a little bit over the top i, I mean I, I don't blame them because you know you need that to bring in customers but the jesus it reminded uh, you of like the original <laughs> pete's dragon when well, <laughs> do you remember pete's dragon like the original I, of course i do of course I okay do. so like yeah. when i don't even remember the guy's name but he gave the guy the tonic and he started doing like a jig <laughs> like the jig yeah <laughs> did you get did you get that feel of it? Like I was thinking of the tonic and yeah, um, and also just the Jesus uh, imagery. The you know. Oh the, yeah. The, oh, the, the I loved Fiji. Like, was it Fiji or was it Creek? Not Creek. Uh, Olivia. That was like. It oh, was, there's. It was Fiji, right? Oh, there's a platform under there. No, I think that was Olivia. That was Olivia. That was the um. Yeah, it was Olivia. Okay. Yeah. She okay. Was the one about yeah, the guy in the wheelchair had to have been working for him. That was fantastic. You know? I also love just since I mentioned Fiji, I love the moment like. They're charging like ten times the amount for crystals or something. Like she's like, I'm the crystal lady. Yeah, and the hipster. She made the hipster come. Like there are hipsters going in there. Like, I know. Was, was it Olivia that was like, uh, that's worse than Kolkanar? Yeah, yeah. There were, that was that was great. I love that. She saw a little bit of competition there. I mean, it was it was playful. It wasn't like hateful or anything. It was totally playful, and I thought that was really cute. Um, and also, you know, the the 
between Kai and, and Patience. It was interesting because I didn't get... It was weird that they were... Were they married? Or they're a couple? It, it, it didn't feel that. It felt like they were business partners and... I don't know. Like, I didn't get a real relation. Maybe it's just because we didn't get that much from them this episode. But it was weird. They felt... I don't know, like, disjointed for some reason. I mean, not disjointed. Like, she felt more like... I, I see this a lot in shows, too, when it, when you have cult-like figures or yogi-type figures, and they'll have their wife or their companion, and the wife always talks to them as if they're, like, their caretaker. Or, oh, my husband's weak, or, oh, he can't... I don't know. I always thought that was kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> just the way they referred to each other. But, um... As for the, the ending, you know... He was looking at the portrait of some of someone. It was a portrait of someone. So when he like when Olivia spotted him, he was talking to that portrait. And I figure I thought it was the head was that person that was on the painting that was the portrait. Like that's why I thought it was a, a human because oh, he was the way he was he was talking to uh, the to the person on the portrait. And I'm thinking, and it immediately shot in my head. Well, this guy must be an immortal. You know, maybe he's really super old like we're talking centuries old and that could have a tie into one of like you know maybe joe or maybe another figure that's been around for a really long time because uh, the person on the you know the portrait looked hella old too it looked like you know it was from i don't know back in the car you know caravaggio or back in the days where it was like medieval times like that's what the the painting looked like so when he opened it i figured that person on the painting that was the head of that person that just came to my mind. Okay, that's interesting. I like that theory. When he was initially talking to the painting, I was like, is this going to be kind of like their own version of like the portrait of Dorian Gray or something like that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, and then it gave, yeah, me, that um, cool. it gave me Penny Dreadful vibes. But um, obviously it's not because there's a, there's a head behind it. <laughs> I actually just paused the scene and i'm looking at the head right now and you are right it could be human because the fact that uh, i thought it wasn't is because in this sort of iron cage that that it's being housed in it's got hooks in the ears and and in the skin um on the head and, and so it makes the ears kind of look demonic because it's like it's hanging so it's like pulling at the ears but yeah. um from what I see, it's it's a head. This person does not have a nose, so the nose is chopped off. Um, they've got some sort of either um, scarring or um, stitches on their forehead, and uh, they've got on both of their cheeks. There's like uh, some skin that has been pulled off and they have their mouth um sewn shut and oh i think it's a man because it looks like unless this is um just from how i paused it it looks like they have some facial hair type of thing on like under like beard type of area so, there's that. Maybe it's a parent of his. Or a lover. Or a lover. Or a lover. If this uh, relationship with patience is a sort of a ruse. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know what it is. Uh, it could be the person in the painting. Maybe it's a familial um, connection, and that's why he's avenging their death. Um, if it's someone old, then maybe it's something Joe did. I would also say maybe Lem, or maybe even Olivia, because she's an assassin. But it's old, but the head was really old, like it looked like it was really old, like aged older than even Olivia, you know, because, you know, but then, then again, you never, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, um, it could be, I, I didn't really get to, it had to have been something like creature related. I just got the sense that there was definitely something, I don't know, supernaturally. Possibly. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, Olivia's, I mean, you've seen her hits before, and she generally targets guys who are like, I don't know, like corporate sleaze bags. Like, I don't see, I don't see how Kai would figure, fit into her, or maybe, I don't know, it's hard to say, it's so early. No, you're right. Yeah, that is true. I guess we're going to have to wait and see. It's going to be interesting also to see how this fits in with his powers. Uh, Kai's powers. Yeah. Like, is this in relation to that? Did he acquire his powers to sort of avenge this death? Um, and, and what exactly are his powers? I'm looking forward yeah. to them explaining that um, exactly. Because... Uh, they're interesting. Yeah. Exactly. And and why are they, like, there? Like, just like Olivia said, you know, I mean, yeah, they get the idea that he's there for maybe vengeance. But is Patience a part of this? Does she know about this whole plan? And what's, where's, what is she, you know, what role does she play in this, too? This This little revenge plan or whatever. That's true. She might not even know about it. So that's an interesting question to ask. I guess we're yeah. just going to have to wait and see. So now it is time for the MVP, the most valuable player. Which character impressed you the most and why? The rules are simple. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. And uh, there are only two of us, but uh, if uh, someone has already mentioned the character that you were going to choose, you must select a different one, so no repeats. Tiffany, you may go first. Who is your MVP <laughs> and why? Okay, it's... Oh, God, I hate to be this obvious. It's definitely Manfred. Manfred is my MVP. That is so obvious because he was the central character of the show, of the of the episode especially. Um, the reason why I say he's my MVP is because... Okay, I, I, can't, I can't say that I agree with a lot. Some of the things he did, like keeping the secret from his friends about what was going on with him. But I felt so connected to him. In, in this in this episode, I really did more so even maybe before the uh, the first season because he's finally found this place that he belongs and he's trying so hard to keep it. And I felt I don't know I felt for him I felt really bad because he was this struggle where yeah he could have left with Creek he loves Creek but at the same time he didn't want to leave the place where for once he felt like he belonged and he didn't belong on the outside he belonged on the inside but then when this thing was happening to him the demon cancer or whatever you could see the struggling like you know he didn't want to die and he didn't want his friends he didn't want to let his friends down so ultimately yeah i mean as far as the character that really spoke to me it was it was manfred you know i feel for the guy i really do and i love him <laughs> i like it great choice he was definitely up there for me to be quite honest if you wouldn't wouldn't have picked him i would have picked him because uh <laughs> that was just a fantastic choice i am going to go 
with, uh, she might not have gotten a lot of screen time, but I was just so happy to see Fiji again. I have to give it to Fiji. There's just something about her that's just magical. I know she's a witch, but yeah. uh, she's just fantastic. Like every scene that she's in, she brightens it up. I loved her little moments uh, of either sexy time or wanting to get sexy time with Bobo. And uh, seeing her, you know, using her magical mumbo jumbo to try to save Manfred was awesome too. And then the tail end with that cliffhanger of like, what exactly is going on? I'm really intrigued by Fiji. So uh, I'm to give her the MVP for this episode. I love Fiji. Fiji is one of my favorites. I would say she's probably my second favorite character next to Manfred. Just she's so she's not cynical. She's not bitter. She's not a, a she's a badass in her own way though. It's she's so cheerful and delightful. I just love that. It's always refreshing to get a character that's cheerful and delightful because it just seems so rare these days. Everyone has to be a hard ass nowadays, you know? Absolutely. So now it is time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 crystal balls? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden crystal ball. Tiffany, you can go first. I'm, I'm going to give it a 10.1. <laughs> 10 That's edging a little bit outside of 10, but a 10.1 because it, it you know, it went beyond my expectations. So that means the co- you're giving it the coveted golden crystal ball if it's over 10. I am. I am. I'm not usually, you know, I, and usually I don't even really care for season premieres because they, they always rank a little bit lower than, you know, what I expect them to be. But this, I mean, this surpassed it. Even I would say, that, you know, from watching the first premiere, the first season, like this surpassed it just because I, I missed the show and it really impressed me the way they came back. All right. Tiffany's starting off strong with a golden crystal ball. To be quite honest, I was going to go a little bit softer. Even though I really liked the episode, I was initially going to give it a 9. But after hearing you just jump in with a golden crystal ball, (laughs) I'm so tempted. And I'm going to fall for peer pressure. I'm going to give it a golden crystal ball as well, because I really did love the episode. I thought it was incredibly strong. Even though it was Manfred-centric and we didn't get that much from all of our other favorite people, the fact that we got them together for a lot of the scenes. Like, I love when we have like a group of um, like a team of characters and and I love when they're all in the same scene together so like the breakfast scene together was awesome the scene at the end where they were saving Manfred was awesome as well everything Manfred was really really good in the episode props to Francois he just did a fantastic job as I referenced earlier that scene in which he switched from uh, the demonic possession to like begging for them to kill him I thought was beautifully acted they found a really great way to get rid of Creek to write her out without killing her so I give props to the writers for that and uh, they certainly opened the door for some really interesting um, mythological storylines this season Uh, they they really did I like how they set it up so uh, the fact that they were able to both close chapter one and open up chapter two in this episode i give them props for that so i will co-sign with uh tiffany a golden crystal ball so on that note join us next time for a brand new installment of the midnight hour once again here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us follow poppy chula radio on social media we are on facebook instagram tumblr twitter and youtube at poppy chula radio do you have any questions suggestions 
comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychularadio. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Midnight Hour and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, Tiffany, please wish the listeners a good night. I wish you guys a good night. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of The Midnight Hour every Monday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chulo Radio Archives. Good night. Good night.